from the book of 1 Samuel. If you will turn with me there, 1 Samuel chapter 1. See the Ortiz family here. Good to see you guys. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Thank you, new uh, visitors, for being here. We are an expository teaching and preaching church, and that means that we believe in preaching through the entire book of the Bible, books and chapters at a time, comma by comma and line by line. New Beginnings has been preaching through the book of Acts, but the Lord has laid on my heart to open a new book, and that's the book of First and Second Samuel. Amen? On Wednesday nights, we're going to continue in our exegetical work in the book of Acts. I will be away on eight weeks uh, teaching assignment at the university. But Dr. Bruce Beckel, ladies and gentlemen, let's give him a hand. My colleague and son in the ministry will be taking standing in on Wednesday nights for us. Amen. So tell your neighbor, you ain't going to miss a beat. You ain't going to miss a beat. Amen. Wonderful. He's going to close out that book for us. I think there's eight chapters left in the book of Acts. Amen. And then we pray to publish that book. Amen. That means it'll be co-authored, Bruce, you and I. Amen. What a joy. What a joy. And I will begin preaching on Sunday mornings through First and Second Samuel. So if you have that book, First Samuel, say, I got it, Pastor. Now, there was a certain man of Ramathim. Zophim of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peniah. Now, Hannah, Peniah, rather, had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering... He would give portions to Peniah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion. For he loved Hannah, and although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting at the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and she wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, 
and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli, this is the priest, was watching her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, but only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But (laughs) Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit, and I've drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink. But I poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, daughter. And the God of Israel grant your petition, which you've asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And so it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son, And called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and all of his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go, for she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned, then I will take him that he may appear before the Lord, watch this now, and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for your patience. Look at that good-looking person next to you. Tell him, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. Today, my pastor going to tag this message, a miracle just for Hannah. Amen. A miracle just for Hannah.
family, prayer is said to be a powerful tool in the hand of the child of God. For it is our power source in the midst of trials and tribulations. Can I get a witness? Prayer is a comfort when you're in despair. Prayer is our access to God. It is what we do when the heart is heavy and when there's nowhere else to turn. Prayer, simply stated, changes things. Is there anybody here this morning that's ever found that prayer works when you're in a difficult spot? Anybody here can resonate with me that when we pray to God, he is a very present help. In the time of need. Have you ever tried prayer and God has come through in the clutch for you? Then you ought to say amen. Because somebody next to you may have not tried it yet. Have you ever depended on prayer in a tight situation? Only to have God respond to you in favor? Then today's text you're going to resonate with because it's another one of those stories That gives us evidence that God uses, answers, and listens to and responds to the prayers of his children. Speaking of prayer, that's Brother Speedy, a miracle. Amen. I answered a prayer. I hope today to encourage somebody to try God in your current situation. And to trust and believe that he will hear you when you pray. Can I unpack the car today? When we come to the books of First and Second Samuel, we arrive at the history of Israel. It's a book of history that depicts ancient Israel's journey with Jehovah. It also introduces us to the top two kings that have led in Israel's history. And it's a great book because it shows us how God has worked, is working, and will work in the children of God's lives. I don't think that it's no mistake that our book opens telling a story about the birth of its author, Samuel. Because Samuel was a miracle baby. Samuel was also a special judge and prophet in the history of Israel. He is the one who anoints their first and second kings. And then not only that, but his life lays out a ministry of excellence. In other words, he gives you a picture of what it looks like, Zuniga, to walk with God, talk with God live for God, and serve God from birth unto death. In other words, it's possible. Are you listening here? And whenever you see a life like this, the good Bible students will ask the question, well, what was his genealogy like? How does this person from birth walk with God until death? Surely he had to have some good influence. And I like this because the Bible opens up telling a story about his parents. Because they teach and model for us what it's like to have kids to grow up and love the Lord. 
Can I park the car and waddle right there? Your kid don't have to ever get high. Your kid don't have to have a bad boy testimony. See, it ain't for every kid to go to juvenile hall. Come on, talk to me. The best testimony is that God kept you from the cradle to the grave. Are you listening here? Parenthetically, let me talk to the children of the church. Don't worry about trying to have a cool testimony. If God ain't never let you have sex outside of marriage, don't change your testimony. If you as a child ain't never experienced divorce, hallelujah. The best testimony is that God will keep you. Are you listening here? I think they get deceived sometimes because their testimony don't have no drama in it. I wish I had a whole congregation of testimonies with no drama. You ought to encourage your children right there. But we can learn from this text that because of Samuel's parents, he becomes a great man in the history of Israel. I like this because this text this morning is not about Samuel, but it's about his mama. See, she's a mother who knew the Lord, who talked with God, trusted God, worshipped God, and in the end gave everything she had for the work of the ministry. Wow, what a picture of a woman you ought to want to be like, ladies. Because of her devotion to God, Samuel catches it. Y'all catch that? Because of mama's devotion to God, the baby catches it. And is fashioned and groomed to love God like his mama loved God. In other words, good parenting still matters. Y'all catch that? This text will teach us that if you want your children to love God, you have to love him first. Ah, (laughs) Yeah, if you want your children to be God-fearing, moral people, you got to love the Lord first. And you got to demonstrate what that love looks like. So let's look at her journey today and grow from her experience. I got three points today and then I'll get on out your way. You want to know what they are? Number one, I want to talk about Hannah's sorrow. Hannah's sorrow. Number two, I want to talk about Hannah's supplication. Hannah's supplication. Then number three, I want to close with talking about Hannah's surrender. Hannah's sorrow, Hannah's supplication, and Hannah's surrender. Can y'all understand where I'm going now? Am I making plain enough for you? Okay, let's walk with me. Keep your Bibles open. When we come to Hannah's sorrow, there are 10 verses right in there that I like to just tap around today. This is called narrative preaching. It's a lot, so I'm going to bite off chunks. Is that okay? And beginning at verse 6, the text says this. And her rival provoked her severely. This was the other woman in that uh, polygamous relationship. She provoked her to make her miserable. Now, y'all know, any wives in here, you know if there was another wife in the situation, that's going to be some drama right there. <laughs> amen. There are a whole lot of people in jail today, amen, if polygamy was going on. But this one other woman provoked her severely and made her miserable. Watch. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. 
And so it was, verse 7 says, that year by year, she went up to the house of the Lord. And as she was going up to pray, this woman kept provoking her. And therefore, she wept. In other words, she lost her appetite and couldn't eat. Verse 8. Then Elkanah, the husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating. Did you catch that? She's not eating after they have finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, which is where the temple was. And now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord in verse 10. And she was in bitterness of soul. And she prayed to the Lord. And she wept in anguish. Let me unpack this. In these four verses, 6 through 10, we discover that Hannah Reverend Brown has had a very hard journey. In other words, she's she's involved in a dysfunctional family. I'm talking to a whole lot of y'all right there. Yeah, yeah. She's one of two wives married to the same fella. The other wife in this text is difficult to live with. And she is persecuting Hannah in a big way. She's evil toward her. And according to the scripture, we need to know that this was not God's perfect pattern for a family. Y'all listening to me? See, God's plan from the very beginning was one man and one woman. But because of the hardness of their hearts, God allowed for polygamy to exist. Deuteronomy 21, I'll give you some insight on this, 15 and 17. It wasn't that God was in favor of this. But he allowed it because of the wickedness of man's sin. Are you in here now? See, there's a whole lot of indications in the scripture, and I want to clear this up again, where God still dwells with people even even when they're in wicked positions. That's not not good theology to say God can't live in an unclean temple. Ain't nothing about you clean. The reason why he saved you is because you unclean. And he move in never to move out. He becomes the owner of the temple. Are you with me here? And when he get tired of you living in an unclean temple, he'll kill you and take you home. Are you in here? Everything about this dysfunctional family was on display. But God continues to dwell with them. Are you listening here? Though the practice of polygamy was oftentimes a great thorn in the side. Of the ones who was married, they still in their hardness of hearts practiced it. Even though it had taken a horrible effect on the family, they continued to dwell in this terrible way. And as a result of the text this morning, Hannah is greatly affected by it. She's affected by it because she was barren and not able to give life in this union. The Bible says that as she went up to Shiloh to worship, watch this now, this other woman provoked her. (laughs) You ain't the only ones with fights on the way to church. And as a result of her being provoked, she lost her appetite and she couldn't eat. Can I say some more? 
We can learn from this passage, Reverend Tong, uh, why Hannah had such great sorrow. See, she had the money and the honey, but she didn't have any babies. And the one desire that every woman has when they get married is to bring children into the union. Can I tell you that it ain't always about money? It ain't always about the honey. She wanted to have some babies that would bring God honor and glory. And the woman said, the Bible says that this other woman who had all the kids, but no money and no honey, she hated Hannah and she provoked her. Because she knew that Hannah desired to have children and could not. Because God had kept her barren. Can I park the car right there? It's God who gives babies. Not contraception. I just said a mouthful right there. I'm trying to help somebody who's trying to keep your one to two babies to yourself. God has already ordained that so many children will be born to every womb. Why are you trying to play God and block what he wants for your life? Get mad, but get over it. This was the other's wife weapon against Hannah. Because Elkanah, her husband, loved Hannah more. I ain't got time to dwell with that. But that's the problem with polygamy. You're going to love one more than you love the other. Are you with me here? If you made me the overseer of two restaurants, and one was, you know, this type of food, and one was Castillo, somebody going to lose. Amen. I'm just saying, I love one more (laughs) than I love the other. See me at the church, I'll take you to eat. Amen. But the Bible says something very interesting in verse 8, that Elkanah, the husband, trying to fix it. See, husbands are fixers, ladies. I want you to know we don't always have common sense. And here it is in the text. The husband says, why do you weep? And she's like, what you mean why I'm weeping? That other woman that you sleep with every other night is tripping. But Elkanah ain't got sense to recognize he got a problem in his house. Amen. Uh, old song used to be out. They used to say, uh, you ought to love the one you're with. Amen. Love the one you're with. Uh. <laughs> You'll catch that on the way home too. All right. But he asked the question, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? That was his question. The Bible is teaching us in this verse, brothers, that the husband tried to comfort her, but her sorrow was too great. His money couldn't help. His love and affection for her couldn't help. His words of comfort couldn't help because Hannah was in pain. Hannah was suffering from sorrow, and her enemy had the last word. This ain't in my text, but let me take a side row. You know, women can be mean. All she had to do was send one of those ten kids every five minutes, go tell Hannah I said hi. She knew what she was doing. Those boys had their daddy's names. Are you with me here? 
and she just flaunted the kids in front of her. She was evil. And as a result, this was grieving Hannah and causing her great sorrow. You know what I noticed in the text? That as a result of her family, she lived in constantly saw in constant sorrow. Isn't that something? Can't your family cause you some grief? Don't say nothing right there. We don't want nobody to know about your business. But as a result of her family, she lived in pain. Some of y'all like me, we got these kind of families, huh? As a result of her family, she was broken and filled with despair. Her own marriage that should have brought her joy brought her pain. Her marriage gave her unsatisfaction with being in this union. And as a result, she was filled with sorrow. And somebody looking at me today can identify with Hannah's story. See, your inability to produce has caused you too great sorrow. Your inability to produce has made your life difficult. Your inability to be fulfilled has also filled you with sorrow. You you may be saying, I married the wrong one, preacher. Yep. Your inability to be content with your barrenness is a hard place to be in. And you can relate to Hannah because you too want a better life and you want to experience the joys that life can bring, but God won't let you be fruitful in your situation. Y'all going to help me through here? It's a lot of meat in this text. I want to feed you today. Tell somebody, it ain't me, it's my family. It's my family. Hannah's sorrow does not allow for her, watch this now, to live up to the potential of her name. Can I tell you why? Her name means grace. And because of her situation, she can't see the unfair, the unmerited favor of God on her own life. Have you ever felt that you and your God-given name didn't match up? Have you ever felt that the promises that were declared over you at birth have not come to pass? Have you ever felt that God didn't live up to the promises he declared over your life? Have you ever felt like you were destined for something great, but the rewards never come to fruition? Y'all mighty quiet in here. Come on. Hannah has a name that has a promise attached to it, but she can't see it fulfilled. Watch this. And her enemy, Brown, keeps reminding her of what God hasn't done. Can I say some more? Her enemy keeps reminding her that she doesn't have what she ought to have and she'll never be what her name says she ought to be. And because of this, Hannah is in great sorrow. In other words, she can't stop crying even though she's going up to worship. She can't stop crying even though she will be in the house of the Lord soon. She can't stop crying. She can't eat. She can't sleep. She can't enjoy the journey to worship because sorrow has consumed her world. 
For those of you who are lost a long time ago, sorrow will mess with your worship. Can I talk to you today? Preachers, be careful for trying to make somebody worship. Sometimes they can't worship. Because sorrow has them arrested. We want to say, stand up, wave your hand, turn around, sit down. But sorrow has them incarcerated. And they're here trying, but it's a whole lot going on on the inside. But can I talk to the one who's a a partner with sorrow today? Look, be careful, daughter, with sorrow. Because sorrow will incarcerate you and rob you of the joy of your salvation. Be careful with sorrow. It'll steal your hope and annihilate your dreams. Be careful with sorrow because it'll make you quit the race before you even get in it. Am I talking to you today? Be careful with sorrow, Brother Grady, because she's a silent killer and a friend to depression. Though Hannah has every desire to go up and give God honor, glory, and praise, she's got an enemy walking with her all the way to the temple. And every step of the way, the enemy is jabbing and getting involved in her life. Sorrow is the enemy to the child of God. High five somebody. Tell them, watch the sorrow, man. Watch the sorrow. That was Hannah's sorrow. Look at Hannah's supplication. Y'all in here? Then help me today and just tell somebody, I'm going to pray with you through this. I'm going to pray with you. When we come to the end of verse 10, not only do we see her sorrow, but we see her supplication. Text says, and she was in bitterness of soul, and she prayed. Can you circle that? She prayed, and she prayed to the Lord. You see, she's trying to get out of it, y'all. She's trying to work her way out of it. She got the right position. She's in the right place, and she's even in the right posture, but she's still in pain. It's possible to have the right place, the right position, the right posture, but you still can't get it right. So here she is. She's praying to the Lord, and the Bible says, and. Uh Uh-oh. Trying to bring indication to her, Sister Rita, that even though she did this, she wept in anguish. She praying, y'all, but anguish has got her soul. And she can't shake that thing. I need somebody to be honest with me today. Have you ever been there? You're trying your best to worship. But that thing has got you. And it won't let you go. Look at verse 11 because it reveals to us her supplication. The text says that then she just made a vow and said, Oh, Lord of hosts. If you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant 
and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but give your maidservant a male child. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall come to his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke with her heart and only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. So therefore the preacher thought she was drunk. And so he said to her, girl, how long you going to keep drinking? <laughs> Coming to church drunk, amen. But she said, no, Reverend, I'm not drunk. I'm just sorrowful of spirit. I ain't drunk no wine or intoxicating drink. I'm just pouring out my soul before the Lord. So don't consider your maid serving a wicked woman. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I've spoken unto now. Then Eli said, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your request. Let me unpack these few verses. When we come to this portion of the text, Reverend Tate, we see that Hannah, first of all, is a woman of prayer. She goes into the temple and she prays. Uh, but brothers and sisters, her prayer, again, is not prayed without pain. The burden of her heart is on display in this text. For she leaves the feast without eating. She has no appetite for food. All she wants is to talk to God. And I stopped by to tell you today that sometimes it's in severe sorrow that you too got to push back the plate in order to cry out to God and tell him what's really going on on the inside. Can I tell you, you don't have to pretend in prayer. You, you, you ain't praying to us. When you in anguish to God, you can cry out and tell him, God, I need you to do this in my life. That's what she does right here. And we must, we must always remember that, that, that sometimes even sorrow and anguish will try to keep you from crying out to God. But just know that God sees and he hears and he's the only one who can lift your burden. See, in other words, all I'm trying to say, Reverend Wilson, is that Hannah gives us a picture of what it really means to cry out to God in the time of need. Are you in here? The text says that in her prayer, she did the following thing. She made a vow to the Lord. She said, remember your maidservant. Don't forget your maidservant. If you give me a male baby, I'll give him back to you. Can I say some more? Here's what I observe in the text, Sister Tong, that Hannah wants to be a vessel for God to bring a godly child into the world for the purpose and the plan of God. I think, and this ain't in my nose, Bobby, but I think she finally realizes that God doesn't want to give me kids the way he gives other people kids. Maybe the purpose of me having children is a whole nother ministry that God is interested in. Can I talk to my daughters today? If God opens your womb and gives you a child, it's for his honor and glory. Every baby that comes into the world ought to be given back to God. 
Are you in here now? Hannah gets this because she's one who can't have kids. And now she recognizes if I ever get the opportunity to bring a child into the world, the first thing I'm going to do is give him back to God. What a picture. What a picture. Hannah's prayer is a prayer that is to bring God honor and glory. Can I say that again? In spite of her anguish and her sorrow, her plea or her supplication ain't to satisfy her own desires. See, it's not to God has slammed the door on you that your prayer life changes. I missed the whole lot. This side over here, mighty quiet. Come on. I need some amens on this side. The house kind of feel lopsided today. Uh, everybody over here saying something. This side, mighty light. I need some heavy, 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 heavy. Y'all going to help me over here? No, notice what you mean. You say, what do you mean by that, Pastor? She's praying it with a fervency and an urgency. And it's in the anguish of the soul and out of sorrow that she makes this petition to God. She she wants to be an agent of God. It's no longer, Brother Chris, just about her being a mama. God, I want to be used by you. If you bring me a son, Brother Dixon, I'm going to give him back to you. So he can dwell with you forever. That that takes all the parental responsibility off of her and says, God, I just want to see you glorify. Let me give you another man child. Let me give you somebody who will lift up your name (laughs) in the earth. She ain't talking about her own name. She ain't talking about trying to keep Elkanah's dynasty going. God, I want to be an agent in your kingdom. Am I talking to you? And then watch what she says. When she prays this, brothers and sisters, she prays. She says, and Lord, and no razor will ever touch his head. She's declaring that she's going to raise this son, Brother Kabuya, to be a Nazarite. The Nazarites were men who lived with a vow on their life. They lived a strict code of holy living unto God. And two things had to happen. Number one, they could never drink and they could never cut their hair. Samson, y'all know the story, Sam, was a Nazarite. Does that make sense? She's saying, not only if you give me a child, will he be committed to you the rest of his life, but I'll teach him the Nazarite ways. So he'll be set apart for the things of God. She's just declaring how she's going to raise the child. And then give him back to God for his honor and his glory. The Bible says, look this, the Bible says that while she did this, while she was having this conversation, She was having it on the inside of her heart. And I think she was so troubled and filled with sorrows, brothers and sisters, that she couldn't get the words out. 
she's crying in such anguish that her lips are just moving. Y'all ain't never been there. You ain't never been there. Well, your sorrow is so great you can't even get the words out. And now she's praying. The preacher, Eli, the priest, is looking at her and accuses her of being drunk. But I like this. She's not drunk. It's just that her prayer is silent. It's a silent prayer. It's not for nobody else's hearing. <laughs> Ooh, you should pack that away. There's some prayers you don't need no amens with. It's just between you and God. This was a personal matter. It was what I call, brothers and sisters, a private grievance. It was a heavy matter that words could not even express. It was a prayer that came out of her heart and her soul. If you would have asked her, can I pray for you, she wouldn't have told you what to pray for. She goes, as Eli sees her mumbling her lips, as I told you earlier, he accuses her of being drunk. She says, no, my Lord, I'm... Your, your, your daughter, your maidservant, your, this woman, I, I've got a sorrowful spirit. And I ain't never drunk wine. I'm not intoxicated. I'm just pouring out my soul to the Lord. And I'm lifting my complaint and my grief to God. And I've been speaking to him from my heart until now. Verse 17, the text says, then Eli answered, well, go in peace, daughter. And the God of Israel grant your petition what you've asked of him. I learned something right here, Brother Deacons, about pastoral ministry in this one verse. Here we discover that because her request is silent, it was misunderstood. But when she revealed to the preacher that her mind was not cloudy from wine, but clear, it was just filled with sorrow that the preacher then encouraged her. Y'all see that? To know that the God of Israel could and would hear her cry and grant her request. I like this, brothers, because it shows me that Eli the preacher had a word of encouragement for a sorrowful soul. Can I say some more? The preacher in the house of prayer ought to have a word for somebody who is struggling with the disappointments of life. Can I say some more? The preacher ought to have a conversation with the one who's been disappointed by the circumstances of life. The preacher ought to always have an eye on the congregation. And be able to encourage the one who's bearing and waiting on the promises of God. Some of you are going to be pastors. One day you're going to have the oversight of the congregation. Always remember that your ministry to the flock must be a ministry of encouragement. 
Y'all catch that? Let me say some more. I learned from this text that the house of God ought to be a place of encouragement. Where my discouragers at? Where my discouragers at this morning? You know, you who ain't got never got nothing good to say. This is the wrong place for you to be a bad news Betty or a bad news Barney. This is the house of encouragement. I'm going to tell you like mama said, if you can't say nothing good, don't say nothing at all. The house of God ought to be a place of inspiration. When life has mistreated you, who gave you the authority to check somebody? This is the house of encouragement. By the way, we don't encourage people to do wrong. And if you're doing wrong, you need to be checked. But following the rebuke ought to be some encouragement. Even after I beat, I mean, whoop my kids. Amen. I encourage them. Now, don't you do that again ever. Amen. Daddy love you. Go on and get out of here. Ministry of encouragement. The house of God ought to be a place where those who are lonely can be comforted. Am I right right there? The house of God ought to be a place where those who are discouraged can be heard and empowered to believe that God has seen and that he has heard. The house of God ought to be a place where the promises of God are spoken over the lives of those who are in need of his promises. And Eli speaks to Hannah. He says, go in peace. Y'all catch that right there? And then he says, and, and the God of Israel grant your petition. Y'all see that there? Which you have asked of him. I like this because this was like precious ointment or precious promise that she longed to hear. Let me say some more. I got proof right in here, y'all. For when the priest spoke to the people of Israel, he spoke on behalf of God. And so they listened to the words of God from the mouth of the priest. He spoke for God, lived for God, worked for God, and God used him to serve his people. So when he said this, it was like God himself said it. Can I turn the light on right there? It was very important for Eli to minister to her because she was so low, she needed a word. And she had not heard from God. Oh, preacher. Oh, preacher. We ought to make sure that when we're preaching the word, we keep in mind the Hannahs. We ought to be sure that when we're preaching the word, they can trust in the word of the Lord that's fallen from the lips of the preacher. This was so good that the Bible says that when she got up, she went her way. Watch this. And she ate. She went back to feeding herself. She went back to personal care. Why? She got a word from the Lord. Hannah needed this word. She needed the preacher to talk to her. She needed to know that God saw her and heard her cry. She needed to know that God was real. And the preacher affirmed God's promises. 
for her life. Can I say some more? Have you ever had a sermon to lift your spirit in the time of need? Come on in here. Don't play church with me now. But have you ever came in here, toe up from the floor up, and a sermon was preached, and you walk here and had your appetite back? Have you ever had a word spoke to you when you needed it the most? Eli's word gave her an appetite again. Eli's word dried her teary eyes. Eli's word brought peace where there was none. Eli's word, yeah, made her want to live again. I hope the preachers are in here with me. Preacher, make sure you have a word that'll do this for the people. Make sure that your sermons are a word that will open the ears of the hearers. Be diligent to bring somebody a word of encouragement for a difficult journey. Hannah, Hannah, Hannah has sorrow. She has supplication. And then we close by looking at Hannah's surrender. Y'all in here with me? Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your kindness. As we get ready to close, verses 20 through 28, open for us a very powerful, powerful picture of the miracle that Hannah received. The Bible says in verse 19, brothers and sisters, that then they rose. Look at that there. Who's the they? Elkanah, Paniah, the, the contrary woman. All the children in Hannah, they arose early in the morning and they worshiped before the Lord. That one sentence is loaded because before Hannah worshiped alone, she was an outsider in her own family. But after that word from the Lord, they worshiped. Y'all catch that right there? And then they returned, even though they were still dysfunctional. And came to the house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. And the Lord remembered her. That word knew in the Hebrew is the word for sexual intimacy. It's what God has reserved for the husband and the wife. Children, did you catch that? Sex is not for you until you get married. Are you listening? Can I say it another way? Leave it alone until you get a ring on the finger. I'm talking to the older people now. If you're having intimacy outside of marriage, you're out of bounds. And that brings sin and consequences in your life. Ask somebody who's carrying around some diseases. Some broken hearts. Because they've decided to be intimate before marriage or outside of their marriage. I don't know why I went there, but I went there. You need to know that it's reserved for marriage. And there will be consequences for cheating. Great consequences. The two-minute thrill. You ain't going to want to deal with the consequences for having that. He knew his wife. And the Bible says, and the Lord remembered her. In other words, he was pleased. God is pleased with marriage and intimacy in marriage. 
That's just worth you coming today. And the Bible says, and it came to pass. I love it when the scriptures say that. Verse 20. It came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived. Look at that, y'all. And she bore a son and called his name Samuel. Because I have gotten a man from the law. Look at that. Let me open it. First thing we notice in this text is that after her peace returns, she worships. Then the text says that the next day, I mentioned earlier, they rose and they worshiped as a family. Hannah is revealing to us that her focus is back now. And it's on the Lord and his holiness. She's able to worship him, tongue, because God has spoken to her through the preacher. And she has now rediscovered the promises of God. Let me say some more. Her desire to worship him has returned. Watch this. Even though her situation ain't changed yet. She's still in the same situation. She's still barren. She's still got an enemy living in her house. Are you with me here? But uh, the, uh, she's like Stella. She got a groove back. Can I say some more? See, her desire to praise him has come back again. Even though she ain't got pregnant yet. Her desire to give him thanks has returned. Even though she ain't a mother yet. See, what this text is teaching us is that once we receive the promise, we ought to worship him as if the promise has already been fulfilled. (laughs) That's just good preaching right there. This text is teaching us to worship him in spite of the timing of the promise. This text is teaching us that if he promised it, you can count on the promise. This text is teaching us to trust in the word of the Lord and give him praise in spite of what your situation looks like. Can I turn the light on? I know I said earlier that it's difficult when sorrow and anguish got a hold of you. But then after she releases it, she has now the desire to worship him even though her situation ain't changed. See, she becomes for us the poster child of worshiping God while you wait on him to move in your life. The Bible says that when they got home, Elkanah knew her and the Lord remembered Hannah. God answered Hannah's prayer and she got pregnant right away. And the Lord sent her, yes, a son. And she named him Samuel, which means he was asked of the Lord. So here we see, here we see that Hannah, yes, does what a true believer ought to do when the Lord hears your prayer. True believer ought to give back to God what God has given it in. In other words, she named her blessing. She named him, and she named the blessing so that every time she saw him, it would be a reminder to keep her word. 
See, naming your blessing yeah. is something that takes you back to the place that reminds you of what God has done. So she called her miracle baby Samuel. And every time she called his name, she was reminded that she had asked the Lord for him. And the Lord gave her the desires of her heart. Are you with me here? Some of y'all didn't ask for jobs. And God bless you. But you got amnesia. Some of you ask for kids, but you don't name them nothing biblical. Don't get me on that sermon. That's a whole other sermon. Some of you ask for all type of things and God bless you for them, but you don't give God credit for it. And you don't name the blessing so it will remind you to give back to God what God has given to you. Isn't that something? Well, I'm through preaching here. There's a whole lot of meat left. There's like seven or eight verses there. And I'll try to just summarize them and go on down the road. But the text says in verse 21, Now Elkanah and all of his house, they went up again the next year to the Lord for the yearly sacrifice and vow. 22. But Hannah didn't go up. Y'all see that? For she said to her husband, I'm going to stay here until the child is weaned. And then I'll take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you until you have weaned him. But watch this. He used a strong language. He says, but only let the Lord establish his word. You see that? So the woman stayed and nursed the son until she had weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her and three bulls and an ephah, a flower, a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, and the child was young. When, when Elkanah says this, I'm picturing in my mind that he has some doubt about Hannah giving the boy back to the Lord. She didn't have kids. And now all of a sudden she was once a worshiper, but she don't want to go up to the temple because she made God a promise that I'm going to give him back to you. So he reminds his wife, even after she'd been blessed, let the word of the Lord be established. Remember what you told him. Are you with me here? Can I park the car? That's the type of spiritual leader a husband ought to be. He ought to be one that reminds the family of the vows they make before God. He ought to be one that leads the family to remember what you say to God in prayer. Are you with me here? He can't take a back seat, but he needs to lead. Can't be a tyrant either. Notice he says, okay, go ahead and wean him if that's your excuse for not going to church. But just remember what you told the Lord. Y'all catch that on the way home. Then the text says quickly, and I like this, that after the child was weaned, she went out and got three bulls. Yeah, y'all catch that right there? Some ephah, a flower, a skin of wine, 
And she brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. Now, I notice this. In verse 26, she gets to the church. She sees the preacher. And she reminds him, it's been about three to five years. And how we know that is because culturally, this is culture and context here, Hebrew women would literally nurse their children till they were about three or five years old. So they were used to going up every year, but she would have missed the first five years. Are you with me here? So when she comes back to the temple, she tells the preacher, remember me? I'm the one who prayed and the Lord heard my cry. And for this child, I prayed and the Lord granted me my petition. That's verse 28 that I've asked of him. This she says in verse 28, there are, there, therefore, I have lit him to the Lord. That means, lit means give in the Hebrew. And as long, watch this now, as long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. She didn't forget. Are you with me here? And then the text says, so they worshiped there. Oh my gosh. I'm closing when I tell you this. I'm arrested at, of course, Elkanah's words when she stays home from church. But I'm arrested also at Hannah's, yeah, obedience. I'm arrested at it because not only did she keep her promise, but she winged the lad. She trained the lad to live forever. Ah. In the house of the Lord. Can I say some more? This is what it means to give your kids away. They are no longer yours. But they must be prepared. Watch this. And weaned off of you. To depend totally. On the Lord. Can I say that thing again? Our children must be weaned off of our provisions and taught to trust in the Lord. The Christian ought to get that. Or not, you'll end up with a 35-year-old baby with whiskers in your house. They go and get married and everybody come back to your house. They graduate from college and they never move out. Why? They still weaned on you. It was a man conference. I'll say something totally different. (laughs) Mama got to cut the... (laughs) Mama got to quit feeding them like that. Get weaned off of you and learn to lean and depend on God. You can go home and tell them, Pastor, say, I got to quit feeding you. That's right. You, time for you to lean on the Lord. Bye. Here's your suitcase. <laughs> I'm just trying to help you. Trying to help you. When you give that baby to the Lord, that ain't no, they ain't no longer yours. Quit running to bail them out. Did you really give them to the Lord? If you gave them to the Lord at the altar and it's time for them to launch out, right? Let them launch. He caught you when you fell, didn't he? 
He fed you when you were hungry, didn't he? He got your baby. Wean him off of you and let him lean on the Lord. Well, I'm through preaching here. A lot of meat in this text, ain't it? When I close, the text says she offered a sacrifice. And she worshipped. And she left the baby with the preacher. What a great mother. What a great mother. And the Bible teaches us, next chapter we'll come back, she has a song of celebration. But God opened up her womb and gave her more kids. She was a great mother. In spite of her sorrows, her supplication, and her surrender. In fact, you could literally say that the troubles that God gave her were the precursor for giving her a son in the ministry. And I'm glad today that Hannah's desire to please God is on display in this text. Because of her, Samuel, yeah, is born. He becomes a great king in Israel. He anoints Saul, anoints David, and does great ministry through all his life. No dirt on Samuel. What a man. He grows up in a corrupt priesthood, and we'll hear some about that. But corruption don't turn him. Don't touch him. Don't take, make him turn. In other words, it's possible to live in a dirty world and not get contaminated. But can I close with something interesting? Though Samuel is great, there's someone greater than Samuel in the Bible. And he too had a mother who experienced sorrow. He too had a mother who knew how to supplicate before God. He too had a mother who knew how to surrender to God. Can I say some more? He too was a miracle baby. He too had a Nazarite vow on his life. He too was a prophet, priest, and a king. Yes, but he was more than just a king. He was the king of all kings. And he was weaned from heaven. To come down to earth. (laughs) To bear the infirmities of us all. He too was dedicated in the temple. He too was set apart to serve the father. He too became the high priest of God. He served in the temple. Handled the sacrifice. And then had the audacity. To become the lamb of God. To take away the sin of the world. Jesus was greater than Samuel. And as the savior of the world, he died for my sins. Can I talk to you about my savior? He still reigns today. He went to Calvary's hill as a suffering servant. Went to Calvary's hill as a prophet, priest, and king. Went to Calvary's hill as the ultimate sacrifice to take the sins of the world upon himself. He died, didn't he die? Took his body down, put him in the borrowed tomb. And because he had all power, descended into the grave, took the sting out of death, 
took victory over the grave, whooped the devil, fastened the keys of eternity in the hip socket of his girdle, and rose Sunday morning with all power. I said all power of heaven and earth in his hands. Can I say some more? He was Samuel's creator. He was Samuel's hope. He was Samuel's God. He was Samuel's everything. Samuel prayed to him in his own priestly ministry. Samuel worshipped him in his time in the temple. Samuel read the Torah looking for the Messiah. And now I'm taking Samuel's place as I shepherd the flock of God. I too love some Jesus. Can't wait to see him on that glorious day. Can't wait to see him high and lifted up. Right now, at the right hand of the Father, sits Jesus, heaven's hero. Jesus, heaven's darling. Jesus, heaven's hope. Jesus, the church's groom. Jesus, the bright morning star. Jesus, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's Jesus, Grandma's walking king. He's Jesus, the visible image of the invisible God. He's Jesus, he's my all in all, my everything. Do you know him today? Is he your savior? Has he been a bridge over troubled water? Have you called on him? Won't he answer you? Won't he keep you? Won't he wash you? Make you white as snow? He's everything. My all in all. And I don't know what you call him. But I call him a friend. In times of trouble. I call him a father. When I'm lonely. He's a mother. When I'm motherless, he'll be with you to the end of the world. And I'm glad about it. Can't nobody do me like Jesus. Can't nobody do me like the Lord.